Welcome to the Choose You Now podcast. I'm your host, Juliana Hever. Vasanta Molina is a registered dietitian and the co-author of many go-to books on plant-based nutrition, including Becoming Vegan and the Kick Diabetes Cookbook. She's not only taught nutrition at both Seattle's Bastyr University and at the University of British Columbia, but she's also a government consultant and an internationally known speaker. Listen in on how this wonderfully smart and soulful woman chooses to age gracefully on her own terms. Dearest Vasanta Molina, thank you so much for joining me today. <laughs> it's wonderful to be in touch with you. Yes. So you recently celebrated your 80th birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> thank you. I did a week ago. It's great. I, I uh, always thought of that as old and I don't anymore. <laughs> Oh, tell us about that. I would love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm, you know, I've had eight decades and um, done very a great deal during my lifetime. But by the way, my husband did a website for me called VasantoTurns80.com. So that's yes. V-E-S-A-N-T-O, <laughs> Turns80.com. And um it was really fun. We put pictures from different sections of my life and people sent in tributes and that. And it, it makes you realize all the different things that you've done. It's it's quite fun. But I, I realize that things have gotten better and better and better. And, uh, you know, my diet's changed over time. I've done different kinds of work. I started writing nutrition books when I was 50. So now I've had 30 years of that and have sold like a million copies in English and we're in wow. 13 other languages now and they're all on plant-based nutrition and they're kind of considered the classics in plant-based nutrition because oh, that yeah. was the real specialty and I've taught taught nutrition at Bastyr University in Seattle and also at the University of British Columbia but that was like starting 60 in uh 1965, you know, a long time ago. And anyway, all the adventures. So what do you think, (laughs) what sparked your journey into the vegan diet and becoming a dietitian and onwards to sell over a million copies of books in English? That's extraordinary. English. Well, I always liked reading. When I was a teenager, I used to read a book a day. I remember reading the Bounty Trilogy over a weekend. You know, I just found books fascinating and and words and writing but I also really liked uh, food preparing food and my mother was made it fun for me I was very fortunate to have this experience of having a mom that enjoyed cooking and and made what what we at that time considered healthy food and my dad did cancer research and so I had this combination of health and disease prevention and healthy food. So uh, that was it's kind of a natural to go into dietetics. And, and then I taught nutrition at university. But my concepts of nutrition sure changed over the years. That, I'd that love first, to hear about that, yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I really did used to eat steaks, you know, Chateaubriand and things like that. Oh, 60 years ago, and then gradually became somewhat more plant-based, not entirely. And then I went to India for four years. And of course, they have a real gourmet uh, vegetarian 
um, slant on food, their vegetarian recipes are exquisite, but there is dairy in those. And then when I came back from India, that was in the 80s, I uh, started learning what happens to animals. And I, I was really touched by what happened to li like little calves that were out of the dairy industry and what happened to pigs as they were loading them onto the truck for the slaughterhouse and just all that. And so at that point, I moved more towards vegan. And when we wrote our first book, Brenda Davis and I, which was called Becoming Vegetarian, I wrote a chapter called Without Dairy. Just like, okay, if you're not going to eat any cheese or, or milk, here's how you get the nutrients instead. And, uh, and while I was writing it, I thought, oh, I could do that. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> and, uh, and what happened? That, well, then the dairy farmers were quite upset about this book and uh, wrote a 45-page booklet against our book, Becoming Vegetarian. This was in 1993 and gave it out for free to everybody who'd take it. And I was very upset about that, but it actually made our book a bestseller. You know how... Wow! <laughs> So uh, anyway, we've we've had a very interesting journey, and I was uh, involved sometimes with the government about getting the non-dairy milks fortified. You know, you could put vitamin D into cow's milk, but it wasn't legal to put it into soy milk or the other non-dairy milks. And over time, that changed in the late '90s, and uh, so then people who were on more plant-based diets could ha also have the vitamin D in their milk. And we started to realize that, hey, our food guides were kind of racist because Indigenous people or um, African Americans, Black people, they hadn't typically, um, for, in many of these cultures, used milk all the time. Like indigen Indigenous people in North America, Ab Aboriginals, they didn't have cows. They didn't milk moose or deer or, you know, <laughs> any other animals. They got their calcium other ways. And so we realized that a food guide that had an essential milk group was kind of racist. It was based on you know, sort of Northern European and some areas around the Mediterranean ways of eating, but not a universal. So... Um, anyway, it's been a very interesting evolution uh, to both see how our government patterns have changed and also um, how our health concepts have changed over time. Right. So you're a pioneer in this movement because now you look at the all the fortified plant milks. Like what a journey <laughs> has taken place since then, right? Yes. You know, it used to be there was, you you had to search around to find some soy milk, you know, and, and it wasn't fortified. And now we find the skews of all these non-dairy milks are huge. They're sometimes bigger than where the dairy sections are. And there are all these cheeses coming, the delicious ones like Miyoko's. And, you know, there's just all kinds of different options now. And, of course, the veggie meats are becoming an excellent um, option 
for people who are in transition or some, sometimes we like to have people eating more whole foods plant-based, but the veggie meats can help people in transition or if they want to make something that was very much like a meat-based dish. Um, anyway, we've got a lot of choice now. Yes, it has evolved quite a lot since 1993, and you wrote that book, and amazing that you've contributed so much. One of my favorite resources, you've contributed so many resources out there, but you are the lead author on a very, very important paper that I quote all the time, which is, of course, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics position paper on vegetarian diets. And just for those that haven't seen this, this is what a paper that clearly states and demonstrates that, and I quote, appropriately planned vegetarian, including vegan diets, are healthful, nutritionally adequate, and may provide health benefits for the prevention and treatment of certain diseases. These diets are appropriate for all stages of the life cycle. And uh, I, I love this paper so much because people are always concerned. Like we're always chasing nutrition. We're always chasing, you know, and trying to avoid deficiency. But really, probably one of the reasons a plant-based diet is so efficacious at all of these extraordinary health advantages is because of how the nutrients play out and what is naturally limited in this way of eating. What would you, first of all, thank you for this resource. And what would you like people to know out there about a vegan diet, about the safety, efficacy, and nutritional adequacy of eating plants? Oh, good. Good questions. Okay. Well, we'll start with the effectiveness that you can reduce your risk of chronic disease. For example, of cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, um, and hypertension by over two-thirds, like drop the risk over 60% by eating a plant-based diet. It's a huge advantage. And you can reduce your risk of cancer by 19 to 50% for various types of cancer. So you can end up having a life that's longer by like seven, eight years. And those later years are healthy. You're not um, riddled with chronic disease. So that's a huge advantage. Um, and we do need to think about how to put together our plant-based diet. But you do need to think about that with, with any dietary pattern that you pick. So with a plant-based diet, I often find that I need to encourage people to include legumes, beans, peas, and lentils in ways that they hadn't thought of before. And we can come back to that a little bit. The other nutrient that they need to think about is vitamin B12 because vitamin B12 is actually from microorganisms. It isn't from meat or dairy, but there's bacterial contamination in those foods that leads to the presence of vitamin B12, whereas with clean plant foods, you don't have that. So they do need to take vitamin B12, which is typically sourced from microorganisms as a supplement. And it's the scrinchiest little amounts, like the size of a period at the end of a sentence, you know, it's, it's very little. So you could have a, a 1,200 or 1,000 micrograms of B12 twice a week. That would work fine. And the other thing that people need to think about, and this isn't just plant-based, but on any diet, is vitamin D. And it's surprising because even in places like Los Angeles or San Diego or Honolulu, sunny places, 
Sometimes people are low in vitamin D. And certainly in Vancouver, where I am, um, there's, you know, cloudy winters and springs and falls. And so uh, sometimes we can produce vitamin D from sunshine. But because people often drive to work from their carport and they never get outside or they don't uh, spend much time on their lunch breaks outside, they are covered with clothing or sunscreen um, if you're overweight, that reduces your vitamin D production. Anyway, there seem a lot of reasons that we're low in vitamin D, but on any diet, people are kind of low. And also, we've just been figuring out what the optimal uh, intakes are, and, and we, we're really not there yet. And it seems that people vary tremendously in how they absorb and use vitamin D. I've been experimenting with that with a um, medical clinic and um, for because I seem to be low at taking in vitamin D and and converting it um, to a useful form. So I was up to 8,000 international units of vitamin D and then have been able to back off. But you can have your vitamin D level checked and it's interesting but it's a nutrient that we're just really figuring out a lot about right now. Yes, it's so interesting and it's so especially nowadays with what's going on in the world and the correlations we're seeing between vitamin D and immunity and all of that. You know, I would love to spend cuz we I wish I could t- I could talk to you all day. I wish we had a lot of time but <laughs> I would love to focus today on healthy aging and lengthening our telomeres. And you worked with Dr. Ornish in his retreats and and I would love to talk more about and and you just celebrated your 80th birthday. So can we talk a little bit about what does healthy aging mean to you, Visanto? Okay, well, it seems that if we do a few things that are very helpful, um, we can end up aging in really good health. And I found, for example, at the age of about 60, that I had to start watching a few things. And um, we we need to make sure that we're still exercising. If we don't, we end up losing muscle mass. We can lose muscle mass. And women lose about three and a half pounds compared to when they're 20. Uh, By the time they're 60, they've lost three and a half pounds of muscle and men have lost about seven pounds of muscle on average. Now, if we keep exercising, we can change that. And we also need to eat fairly high protein foods. So that's where we need the beans, peas, lentils, or we can use the veggie meats, something like that, but include them, you know, have soy milk at breakfast on your cereal. It's one of the higher protein of the non-dairy milks or hemp milk. Um, you can have different, all kinds of different dishes. And there's basically 20 kinds of legumes, beans, peas, and lentils. Um, we need to make sure we get good sleep. We need to exercise. It helps to be in community, you know, to have a little group of friends around you. I live in something called co-housing, which is a Danish concept, like a village. There are quite a few of these in California and Um, in different parts of the world, but we have a common house. And even during COVID, we ended up having musical events in our courtyard and and, uh, there are 31 townhouses, but we have a courtyard and a big common house. And and, uh, so having community is really important. 
Um, and then eating a more plant-based diet will help you live a lot longer. Yes. You know, we just did our Q&A recently and we talked about protein and how it shifts after the age of 60. And, um, and I think that's a really good solution is to incorporate more um, legumes. But the question, you know, it also, the, the evidence is very clear that it's the plant sources are still better, even if you're trying to get more amino acids. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. Well, um, the plant sources, it's funny because we call meat a protein food and even think of cheese as a protein food. But these should really be considered fat foods because more than half of the calories, in case of cheese, about three-quarters of the calories is from fat. <laughs> so these are fat foods. And if you choose legumes instead, when you have most of the beans, peas, lentils, they have about 3% calories of protein, maybe 5%. Chickpeas, 15%. Soy has a little bit more uh, fat. So, But they're high in protein, but very low in fat. And so they can give you a lot more bang for your buck. Um, for the calories you, you consume, you have a lot more protein. And it's a good quality protein. Um, it really, really works well. We don't have to worry about carefully combining, as people thought in the 70s and 80s. Um, you can end up just with a mix of plant foods. And you get protein from all the different food groups. Some um, fruits are kind of low in protein, but all the other, the grains, half the world's protein actually comes from grains, and uh, especially if you eat whole grains. So... We can have our, our breakfast have a little bit of protein. I just had a smoothie with hemp seeds in it. And at lunch, we can have beans in our soups and salads. Um, red lentils cook really fast. There are a lot of ethnic dishes. So it can be almost like a huge adventure to start um, finding new ones. And by the way, there's a wonderful website called happycow.net that helps people find restaurants in their area. Happycow.net. And you just put in your city or your, your postal code, your zip code, and see what's near you that is a plant-based restaurant. They ha it's so amazing. Happy Cow and even Yelp, you know, no matter where you go in the world, these little remote places will have, like, you could just like GPS where you are and it'll tell you all the places around you that are either, yeah, plant-friendly, vegan, vegetarian, or markets where you could find plants. It's kind of been such a helpful tool when you're traveling too. So not just where you live, but also when you're somewhere else or in your friend's neighborhood or something like that. It's been really helpful. So I'm glad you That's brought that right. up. Yeah, it, it really makes a big difference. And boy, when we started this, it was weird to be vegan. Now it's a big plus. We're finding that um, I think 3% of seniors are calling themselves vegan. Really? Really? That's a change. It gets a change from six years ago, last study I saw on this. And people are doing it because they realize they can lower the risk of chronic disease they can live longer in good health. They're helping the environment big time. Like people are a lot talking about changing their transportation. I mean, we have a hybrid car. People have electric cars. That's a, that's a good idea. But the dietary choice is not mentioned so much, and yet it's equally important. Um, so we can help 
our grandchildren to have a nice life um, in a world that isn't, um, you know, devastated by climate change when we move to a more plant-based direction. And of course, it's a um, big impact on the poor animals that are in the factory farming system. Yeah, so win, win, win for a million reasons. There's so many reasons to be more plants. <laughs> and you've created so many wonderful resources to help people. There's so many wonderful books. I love all of your books, and I'm so grateful for all that you've done. I want to ask you on a personal note to uh, share how you've chosen yourself, not just now, because you know the concept of this podcast is choosing you now, taking care of yourself so you could be out there and, and do all the goodness for those around you. How have you chosen yourself, not only now, but over the decades? Okay. Well, one of the things is I do include exercise every day. And I just came back from walking around a lake nearby. And I also do some kind of uh, exercise class or some other types of exercise. You want to include weight-bearing, um, balance, this kind of thing. And I make sure I do that every day. I sleep well. And sometimes if I can't fall asleep, say if something's bugging me, I will put on a, an audio tape. I choose, um, there's an app called Libby.com and you can get audio books from the library and if you choose some kind of boring one, like my dad used to read to me when I was a kid, so I was conditioned to fall asleep listening to stories. And so if you get the right kind of story that's a bit boring and you kind of know how it's going to work out anyway, you can fall asleep while <laughs> your mind doesn't take you off somewhere. And uh, I do live, as I mentioned, in community and make sure I maintain some friendships and then have a more plant-based diet. So this is like four pillars of uh, the friendships, the plant-based diet, the regular mix of exercise, the mix of different choices, and um, and sleeping well, and having friends. Mm -hmm. I love it. And just one last question. I, again, I could talk to you all day. What are some tips you have for people that are intimidated in the kitchen? Because you make, I, I feel like it should be very simple and you make it sound so delicious and simple and you're an expert at this. What would you suggest to people that are intimidated by the idea of eating more plants or eating more plant protein? What are some of your top tips if you have some? Okay, let's see. Um, well, with our Cooking Vegan book, um, that one I did with a chef from the Four Seasons, and it's got pretty simple recipes that only have a few ingredients. Like, it's not huge amounts and weird. It's not gourmet. I'm not actually a gourmet cook. I like it simple. I've got this big salad there. My dressing's made. It lasts for more than a week. Um, the tofu might be marinating or a bean salad, something simple. So have that around. And think you only need 10 recipes that... People don't need like 50 recipes. Usually it comes down to about 10 that are their lifelong favorites. And so when you go more plant-based, you find your new 10. Now this could be done by connecting with people in your area that do cooking. Often if you search online, there's a veggie group, a meatless meetup. Um, you can find people locally. And you can um, watch your tips are good on your your um, blog tips. You know, there's lots of good ideas there. But uh, you can start to make it fun. I know for some people, 
they were really intimidated about cooking because their mom didn't really have fun with it. And um, it, it can be delightful. It can be a pleasure and it can be pretty simple. Another thing, this is for women. Um, sometimes if you're, I, I, I just realized this, if you're single, um, look for a guy that that uh, might be interested in, in cooking too. Because sometimes men, I, I have a partner of 17 years and he wasn't allowed in the kitchen in his previous marriage. And when we started cooking together, he's he's a better chef than I am. And he really has fun with it. And it, it's so fun to do things together like that. Or you might find your best friend. You start exploring recipes and do something every week. And it can just turn out to be a delight. Oh, you are a delight, Visanto, and you are so inspiring. I can't thank you enough for sharing your wisdom and celebrating your birthday with us. Happy, healthy, and uh, we, will, <laughs> we will regroup at 118. How about that? All right. We will. Okay. <laughs> Yes, make it fun, make it delightful, make it simple, eat more plants. If you are inspired and enjoy the Choose You Now podcast, become a member of our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash choose you now, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash choose you now to have access to exclusive content. Please subscribe to the show, rate and review us on iTunes, and send us an email with questions and comments at chooseyounowpodcast at gmail.com. For nutrition services and more information, visit me at plantbaseddietitian.com. I invite you to choose yourself now, and I'm signing off with lots of leafy green love.